0: Welcome to the twelfth podcast in our series, Life in the Time of Coronavirus. Here, Dr. Temitope Abisoya noah Visiting Research Fellow in the IAS, provides a personal meditation on the analogies between coronavirus and racism, which she argues spreads like a virus and may exist in the population, even while carriers can be unaware of the dangers they present. Do not victims turn to social distancing to avoid those infected, she asks. Is racism not also a global pandemic? And is it enough to notice the symptoms without addressing the cause? On December 30th, 2019, in the city of Wuhan, a new coronavirus emerged and began to produce scores of casualties Weeks later, we heard it was in Iran and Italy, and was killing hundreds. By March, it had arrived in the UK, and the total death toll worldwide was at 40,000. Imagine that this was not coronavirus. Imagine that this was racism. Racism starts in a city and spreads around the world, killing thousands. Sounds a bizarre scenario. Yet this is precisely what has happened. Only racism is not just now spreading across the globe, it is a virus that has been around since the 1500s and still lingers, still kills. A much more insidious virus, having killed millions, but surfaces in ways we do not usually detect. We have our COVID symptoms, the coughing, body aches, high temperatures, but the symptoms of racism are usually far more subtle. Even the most chronic carrier of racism doesn't always realize he has it. And many times, even the most afflicted receiver of it doesn't realize they have been affected by it. Over the past few weeks, it is an overt manifestation of racism that has captured our headlines. That of the murder of George Floyd on May 25th. Since his slaying by Minneapolis police, many have taken to the streets in protest. Emotions are running high. People are asking why. Why this same pattern? Well, if there is anything the election of Barack Obama, and then Donald Trump, and the concomitant rise of acts of violence against people of color in America shows, it is that racism is not a symptom of a sense of superiority of one group over another. Rather, it is the opposite. As Francis Welsing theorized, when members of a dominant group commit these types of atrocities, it is a symptom of deep-seated fears of being outrun. In the minds of this cluster of individuals, from the halls of Congress to the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota, George Floyd, Darnisha Harris, Rakia Boyd, and many others are reminders of the resilience of oppressed peoples and the frightening expectation that they, as members of an oppressive class, may soon be left in the dust, both figuratively and literally speaking. This fear of white annihilation in the face of black advancement into the mainstream has been the dominant narrative in America since the beginning of Reconstruction. The infamous Hamburg Massacre in South Carolina in July 1876 being an example, in which a hundred members of white rifle clubs attacked 30 black servicemen, just to deter black voting in the majority black Edgefield district that year. They left nine people lifeless, Author and activist Kimberly Jones also reminds us of Black Wall Street, a wealthy and exclusively black neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma that was burned down in 1921, leaving 300 dead. Again, owing to this fear of black self-determination. Today, the murder of George Floyd is but another chapter in this horrific narrative. If such acts of violence against people of colour through the ages are rooted in fear of obliteration on the part of white supremacists, when we resist them through diversity training, legislation, and even indictment and incarceration, aren't we only treating the symptoms? In the same way one would take an aspirin for a fever or a sedative for anxiety, Aren't we taking temporary measures against pathological dispositions, rather than treating the hearts from which such insanity erupts? Why can't we be glued to our TV news channels and root for progress towards a real solution against this malaise of the heart the same way we are doing with Covid? Why can't we take the necessary precautions against this fear of black mobility like we do against Covid? Why can't we declare a state of emergency? Why can't we shut all systems down and solve the problem of racism for good? After all, this is a universal issue. In the same way climate change affects everyone, so does racism. As filmmaker and activist Melance Spart Williams explained, In nature, when there is a species that lives with no regard for others, Natural selection always eradicates this predator, because it disrupts the balance. I say the same is true with racial oppression around the world. As it increases, nature's backlash is only inevitable. Rather than merely recycle plastic bottles and move for restoration of our environment, can we not also revive our sense of humanity? There is no point in saving the planet if there will be no human beings left to live on it. In the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in the UK, there were those who continued to leave their homes and visit bars and restaurants, well aware that they could be carrying the virus and could spread it to others and possibly kill them. The same is true now with the virus of racism there are those who carry the virus unconcerned about the harm they may be inflicting on others. If you are one of these people, if you are not concerned with racism, you don't believe it affects you, if you are one of those who even assume you have more to gain from the present system of racial injustice than to lose, and thereby do not desire to put it to an end, this present message is not for you. I am addressing those who are concerned, and who realize the gravity of the situation we are in. Let us not forget the other forms of racial violence, the emotional and psychological violence through everyday racism. You witness people of color dying on the streets at the hands of police, but you hardly see those maltreated by their friends and their associates. The Karen and Becky videos aside, there are many more targets of this type of violence in all areas of society. In the Houses of Parliament, in schools in churches on playgrounds, all wrestling against racism under the radar. And many have not survived. For instance, nine-year-old Mackenzie Adams in 2018, who was taunted to death by her racist classmate while her teachers and administrators turned a blind eye to the harassment. Or 16-year-old Mia O'Neill, who was driven to mental collapse and died in September of last year, after suffering six years of racist abuse. So do not simply outsource the racism of today to law enforcement and presume that they are the killers and that you are innocent. Believe you me, your everyday racism is just as lethal as the gun. You fire bullets at people of color through hair-touching, name-calling, and your repeated requests for them to simply overlook your ineptitude. And when you fold your arms in complacency and do nothing to stop such microaggressions in others, or when you refuse to address the assaults after the fact, Such stench of indifference, as Asada Shakur would call it, are like daggers into the souls of the survivors of the attack. So let's not forget about these types of violence. The violence against black minds, black hearts, black spirits, black souls. And this goes not only for racism, but also for all the other deadly isms that are also spreading around and causing all of us to disperse from one another, like the pandemic. Yes, we have all long been practicing social distancing to safeguard ourselves from the many pervasive prejudices of our communities. It is not uncommon for women to stay away from men, blue-collar from white-collar, elderly from young in efforts to self-protect from the deadly viruses of sexism, classism, ageism and all the other forms of discrimination. We have long planned our lives around avoiding situations in which we could be vulnerable to having to bear the brunt of another's ignorance. In the same way we stay two meters apart with Covid, school children have learned to avoid potential carriers of the disease of bullying. Neurodiverse people self-isolate from those neurotypicals who usually misunderstand and consequently malign them. Home quarantine has been practiced for years by immigrant families who sometimes spend entire weeks at home to avoid the plague of contempt from the xenophobic world outside their doors. All these groups have kept to themselves to avoid incurring psychological and emotional wounds that could last days, months, or even years, if not for the rest of their lives. These lacerations are burdens of the soul that linger and fester and develop into sickness and even death. So as we protest the murder of George Floyd, why don't we also ask ourselves, what are the ways we have been slowly chipping away at the lives of those around us? Psychologist Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum, author of groundbreaking book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, says that it is not enough to passively resist racism. One instead has to turn around and walk away from the direction the system of racism is taking our world. As we heed her call and become active in the fight against racism... Why don't we first achieve this metanoia on a psychological level? One must first and foremost transform one's mind. It is not enough to avow, I won't be racist. The mind in default mode isn't anti-racist. Incidents of racism aren't just slip-ups of an otherwise healthy mind. Racism is the default mode owing to white supremacist media, education, and politics. And so it would behoove us to fortify ourselves against these workings of the mind. In the same way we hand wash for 20 seconds, we need strategies and systems in place to keep our hearts clean. In the same way we stock up to maintain ourselves through the pandemic, we need to grab hold of certain habits that will keep us from slipping into these types of prejudicial mindsets. And this also applies to those who suffer under racism. In the same way, the proclivities of the white supremacists are like sins crouching at their doors. So are your capitulations to such forces. Will you not do what is right? Will you not cast your gaze upwards and, in so doing, relieve yourselves of these burdens of the soul? Do it for yourselves and for others. Do send us your feedback and proposals at a.renchat at and find more talk pieces in the Institute of Advanced Studies website or your podcast's app. Music is by Small House in the BBC Sound Archive Communications are by Patricia bascarelli Bart. Production and edition are by me, Albert Benchatelar, and, and executive producer is Tomacar. Look after yourselves and others. See you soon.